he still saves. Now there's a there's a lot of of you know there's songs about that. He still saves. Yes, he does. There's there's an understanding, and we we know that we're still going to preach Acts two thirty eight. We're still going to preach that. Jesus has come to save the sinners and to save us from our sins, but I hope today we can take it a little bit farther. He still saves. John wrote this way, and it's Jesus' words. John recorded it. Jesus' words, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, if all I had was that one verse, I could preach a long time on it. I could tell you that the Bible, that the, the Bible specifically says we're going to have trials, we're going to have tribulation, we're going to have some bad times, we're going to have some hard times, but this is the confidence we have. He has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. You can be seated. I have thought long and hard about this, and if you were to go to the... The, uh, there's an old hymn, and, and I, I know that I, I pull out those old hymns. It's because uh, many of the churches that I grew up in, they, they still sung out of that old songbook. And while we don't necessarily have the songbooks on the back of the seats, I saw songs still matter. How many of you remember that old hymn? I think it's page 32. It says, Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward is our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Anybody ever heard that song? I saw Sister Way uh, singing along with it. Some of you, Jesus saves. There's another song, and I, I, it's not in a songbook, but if you listen to the Gaithers, you would have heard it. But uh, uh, it was Jesus still saves. And, and I, I just was thinking about that, and in a minute we're going to read a verse, and I believe it, it was a verse that Brother McCool over the last week somewhere uh, he threw that out in a sermon, and it, it just kind of would not leave my brain. And this last week, I had a, a convention I was at, and I, that verse, it was on a piece of paper that I carried, and I looked at it because sometimes there was parts of that convention that got very boring, and so my brain went otherwise, other places, and it kept going back to that verse. But before I get there, let me take you to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 26. I'm not going to read it all, but if you'd like to see where I'm at, you're there. The Bible uh, records that now the children of Israel have, have gone through their time of wandering. They've gone through their time of, of trial. And now they are standing ready to go into the promised land. This was the promise that God had, had, had brought them uh, uh, to some 40 years prior. But because of some unbelief and because of some things. Actually, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the time. This is before they begin to wander uh, 40 years. Sorry, my, I, I was trying to get to the good part first. Let's go to Numbers. And so uh, Moses, he is looking at it and he says, you know what, we're fixing to cross the Red Sea. Uh, we, we've come through Mount Sinai. We've got the law. God has talked to us. Let's go claim the promise. Same promise that God gave Abraham. And so they get there. And uh, Moses being the strategic 
leader that he is, he gets one man from every tribe, 12 men, and he sends them across the Jordan River and he says, I want you to go see what lies in the promised land. Those 12 spies come back and this is what they tell him, verse 27 of Numbers 13. And they told him and said, we came into a land that you sent us and it did, surely it flowed with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. And if you would go a little bit before, you'd find that they were carrying a cluster of grapes that required two men to carry. It was a fertile ground. However, verse 28, nevertheless, Have you ever had someone tell you something and then they interject this little word? They'll tell you something good or they'll tell you some good news and then they say, but, and you just know the other shoe is about to drop. Here's what I want to tell you, but this is what nevertheless means. They were saying, we've seen the land. It's everything God has promised us. However, The people are strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled. They're great. We saw the children of Anak there and the Amalekites and the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites and Canaanites. And they're there and all of a sudden Caleb, he's trying to yell above the din and the crowd and he says, hold on everybody. Hey, I know that was there, but I'm telling you, let's go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. Basically, Caleb says, if God's brought us this far, he's not going to leave us here. We can do it. But the men that went with them, they, they, they raised their voice louder. We can't do it. We're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. Now, I want you to think about that, how asinine and crazy that is. This is the children of Israel that God has brought out of Egypt. And at that point, Egypt was the supreme world-dominating ruler of that time. There was not another nation like Egypt. There was not another uh, uh, nationality or, or economic system like Egypt was. And if God was able to deliver them from the strongest country, don't you think God can handle some nomadic tribes that wander around a wilderness? But they said, we, they're stronger than us. And they brought it up and they, they make that statement that we saw the giants, the son of Anak, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight. And we've preached that. There's so many things we could go from there that you get caught up in the negative report. You get caught up in, in how you view it. doesn't say that, that they looked at us and they were saw us as grasshoppers. They didn't say that they were uh, so tall. They said we felt like we were grasshoppers in their sight. Can I tell you today that we live in a time where there are a lot of things in our life and in our world that is bad. If you turn on the news, you're going to be just absolutely overwhelmed. There's not much good news in the news anymore. Lives are broken and hearts are faint and we live with broken dreams and broken homes and broken lives and if anybody would say we relate to them, we would relate to Humpty Dumpty. You know, the one that fell off the wall and shattered. And then that that sad statement, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And that is how so many, even in the church, they live. I'm broken and nobody can do anything about it. Brother McCool had preached several times in his course over the last week and he preached about the faith that we ought to have in the power of God. And while he was preaching, I wrote something down because I've seen it in my own life as a pastor and youth pastor that there are people, uh, for, you, know, you have different groups of people. You have some people that just don't believe. It didn't matter if, if a preacher showed them evidence and read the Bible, they're going to sit back and say, I just don't believe. 
However, I would tell you that for the most part, those are few and far between. There are others that say, I believe, and they act on that belief. Those are the ones that God begins to heal and God begins to touch. But in my lifetime, I have seen a third group of people pop up. And they are those that believe God can heal. But they put a caveat, but he won't heal me. He won't touch me. I believe God can put marriages back together, just not my marriage. I've had conversations uh, in my office. I've had conversations with people across this, this great community. And I have had people sit in my office and tell me, I am so broken, I am so bent, I am so wounded, God can't touch me. And I look them straight in the eye, and this is my response. You are telling me that your circumstance is bigger than Almighty God. I don't believe it. There hasn't been a home God can't that, that, that has broken so bad that God can't heal. There's not been an addiction that has grabbed someone so tight that God can't deliver. There's not been any circumstance. There's not been any trial. There is nothing that has ever come on this world that God says, Oh man, I don't think I can handle this. We serve a God that still saves. Can I tell you today? Come on. At a ladies' conference, Sister Buford was part in the morning. They had a young ladies' session. I think it's called Emerge. And Sister Buford, uh, with some other pastors' wives and, and, and youth leaders, uh, was directing those sessions. And last uh, uh, yesterday morning, rather, they had a question and answer, a forum. And Sister Buford began to talk, and it was kind of off the cuff. It was God right there, but she began to talk about depression and talk about suicide. And there were young ladies that came up to her afterwards and poured their heart out to her. We are living in a day where, where, where depression is at an all-time high, and suicide has become such a logical choice for so many. And I see that. I just came from this conference and one of the sessions there was talking about depression and talking about suicide. We see it in all of that. I know we live in a day and age that needs an answer. And I let me go on record. They're recording it so that way you can't ever say, I believe in doctors, I believe in lawyers, I believe in counselors, but I will tell you this too often. We use those and they have replaced the need for a savior. Now, when I'm sick, I go to the doctor. And I've done that. But I will tell you now, I have never allowed that to replace the need for a healer. I want to preach to you today. He still saves. Brother McCool threw this verse out, and, and to be honest, I don't know where he went with this verse, and I don't think it was a major point, and if it was, and I'm preaching a sermon again, so be it. But he threw this verse out in the last couple of days, First John chapter 3 and verse 8, and this is what it says. It says, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning, for this, the Son of God, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. We know that, that because of sin and because of all of that happened in the garden and the, the hold that, that Satan and all of his evil wrought upon the human race, it was because of that purpose that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That God put all of the glory and majesty and power of the Godhead and he put it inside a human 
so that he might walk on this earth so that we could have a blood sacrifice, an innocent lamb slain. We have preached about that. And uh, he's come that he might destroy the works of the devil. Let me say that again. Jesus' sole purpose for coming was to destroy the works of the devil. What does that mean? Oh, we could preach, and Brother Perryman, I know you've done it, I've done it. Brother uh, Farino back there, Brother Hare, our ministers, we could go and we could start preaching. That, that Jesus, when, when he died, and he got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And we could talk about, oh, death, where is thy sting? And oh, grave, where is thy victory? And we could pound the pulpit. And all of that is true. I believe that Jesus won that victory fair and square. But I want to get specific. I don't want us just to look at that victory as being a victory over just sin. Sometimes we get so broad-minded that we lose the, 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 the individual touch that God has done. And so, I, as I've told you over the last week, that this verse right here has been in my mind over and over. He has destroyed the works of the devil and, and almost instantaneously, when I heard that verse, it was as if God just laid the Bible in front of me and he flipped a few pages back and he found Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. And I want to read you that. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and the such like of which I tell you. And I've told you also in time past, those that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I love this verse. In fact, I have preached an entire series on this. Brother Perryman, several years later, I think it was last year, you preached a, a series of messages on this. I love, first off, that Galatians says this is the works of the flesh. And then he doesn't leave it there. He follows it up, but this is the fruit of the Spirit. And it, and it shows us what you do when you live for the devil and how you ought to be when you live for God. And I, I, I am begging you to allow me once more to remind you what those works of the flesh are but let me tell it to you in a different light if god if the if the bible says he has overcome the work of the devil then i would tell you today that means he has also overcome the works of the flesh so, first off, you, you have about four of these uh, things. You, you have uh, the sexual sins that are the works of the flesh. The first one is adultery and fornication, and it comes from the Greek word pornea, where we get that word pornography, and it's the indulgence of unlawful lust. It's any and all illicit sexual relationships. And we see that in this day today when Paul wrote this. Sure, there were harlots running around, and sure, there was fornication, and sure, there was idolatry going along. But Paul could have never uh, understood a world in which on every billboard it's 
plastered and on every electronic device you can get pornography but can I tell somebody here today that as bad as that has ever been and how many homes that it has wrecked the Bible tells me Jesus said I've come to overcome the works of the devil which is why I can stand today and tell somebody that every adulterous relationship and every fornication that has ever come and every pornography that has ever been he has overcome that and you can be free of that in the name of Jesus yes there in fact I have talked to counselors who have made their entire practice on trying to help people out of this and I applaud them for that but my God's already won And today, if you struggle with that, if today that's something that you can't get past, I would like to remind you, he's already overcome it. And today, there is freedom in Jesus Christ. He talks on about the work of the flesh, uncleanliness or impurity. It's moral uncleanliness in thought, in word, in deed. There are people who may never act on that fornication. They may never act on that idolatry. In fact, they may never click a bad website, but in their mind, it is unclean. It is impure. Every moment they are awake, their mind goes to things that ought not go to. But can I tell you today, you're going to catch a pattern. This is the pattern. I'm going to tell you the sin, but I'm going to remind you Jesus has overcome it. Because sometimes we like to look at the overarching sin and say, oh, he, he saved us from our sin. And then someone's sitting in the audience and says, yeah, he saves us from their sin, but I'm too lost. But I'm telling you today that over every unclean thought, over every unclean word or deed, over impurities, he saves He goes on to say, Paul begins to write that it's lasciviousness or debauchery, it's filthiness, it's wantonness, it's a little bit of a step further than just unclean thoughts. Some people are just filthy, they're just dirty, everything they they think about, everything they say or do, but I would tell you today, he still saves. Why? Because he has overcome the works of the devil. Paul takes it out of that sexually charged sins and he takes you into religious sins, into idolatry. And, and there, I don't know that most of us would say, hey, we, we don't worship idols. And, you know, we're not bowing down to idols. And, 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 but, you know, there are some that struggle with that. There are some that have made things that are not even religious an idol. But Jesus saves. Jesus saves. The second part of that is witchcraft. And and, and it was because much of the idolatry had its place in some sort of sorcery or witchcraft. And and, and then you have heard me preach several times. And I'm reminded every time I ride with the police in my uh, 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 job, if you will, or my volunteering as a chaplain, I'm reminded of this. Witchcraft. It comes from the Greek word pharmacia which means the, the use of drugs or medita- medication. And, and uh, in, in those biblical times of history, many of their worships would have been associated or accompanied with the use of some sort of a drug that would create a trance. If you need to understand this, you can look back in some of our Native American cultures and you would find that they could eat a peyote or they could eat this mushroom or they could take this herb uh, and, and marijuana is one of them and they could take that and it would cause them to go into a trance or it would alter their mind state, my, their mind and so it was that it was more than just getting a high 
Now listen to me. I, I, see, I've, I've learned that drug abuse, it runs rampant even into, into people who have experienced the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know that any of you are doing it, but you better listen to this preacher right now. When you begin to do drugs, it's more than just an altered state. It's more than just getting high. It's more than just hurting your body that you have heard a lot of preachers preach about. The same reason we talk about you shouldn't smoke because it, it, it hurts the temple of God. But let me tell you something right now. I have lived long enough to know that when you begin to let your life be affected by drugs, it's not just a high, but you are opening yourself up to a spiritual warfare you have not yet even thought about and so it is that witchcraft and sorcery is always connected to drug use and drug abuse and so I have watched this I, I have seen it there's probably not a family here in whom your immediate family or maybe just a, a, a little bit by that, that your family has not been affected by drug abuse heroin is at an all time high Heroin is so easy to obtain that it is actually, in a sense, putting the meth business out. I, I, I never dreamed how cheap and how uh, uh, easily you can get heroin. All you have to do is open up the newspaper, turn on the TV, and you will find that our, our, our communities are being affected by it. And they're, how do we do it? It, it, it? There's hardly a week goes by in the city of O'Fallon that one or two people don't die of a drug overdose. I've been there. I've seen it. But can I tell you? I sat in my office this morning and I was letting that old song, Jesus Saves, play. And the power of God came in. Tears began to roll down my face. Why? Because I'm going to tell you right now, as bad as the hold of drug abuse and drug addiction is on our world today, I've got a confidence. Jesus said, I have overcome the works of the devil. And where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Can I tell somebody here right now, you've struggled with it long enough. Maybe it's prescription drugs, maybe it's something else but there is a savior right now, his name is Jesus and today would be the day that you could simply lift your hands and instantaneously he could break the hold of drug abuse I have watched it in my lifetime, they will tell you that once you've partaken in heroin and some other drugs it never leaves you and it's so easy to relapse but I would tell you today, I have watched people come to an altar, throw up hands, and God fills them with the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you how completely he saves. They never desire it again. If you don't believe that, talk to Brother Perryman a little bit. He's told me some things in his life, and I think you may have even preached from the pulpit, of things and addictions that God can instantly take care of. I don't know why I'm spending so much time on this, except that I'm just trying to tell someone, Jesus still saved. But it's, it goes farther than that. There's eight works, and these eight works, they build on each other, and some of them overlap, and they snowball into chaos. Such things such as hatred, hostility. There, there are people that, that they, they don't even know why they have hatred in their life, but it courses through them like some venom in their veins. They wake up mad. 
It's discord, quarrel and wrangling and contention and debate and it's emulations which is which it means to boil. It comes from the Greek word zealous and it means to boil that there's something inside that's just there. It's, it's jealousy and envying and, 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 and all of that and then it goes to wrath and wrath is that passion. The best way that the, the word picture for wrath is to breathe hard. Have you ever seen someone so mad? They're like a bull ready to charge. They're just... And you get that in this world today in strife, strife where we create factions and contentions and we're trying to break people up and fracture things. And, and then there's seditions which means disunity to divide and heresies and envyings. And I've seen those in lives, I've seen those in families, I've seen those in churches. If I read my Bible correctly, Jesus said, I've come to overcome the works of the devil. Which means that every one of those anger and envy and seditions and heresies, those works of the flesh, Jesus can overcome right now. You don't have to live with those emotions ruining your life. You don't have to live with that hatred any longer. You don't have to live with that anger any longer in the name of Jesus. There is a Savior that says, I'm not going to only save you from your sin, but I'll save you from your emotions as well. All of those things that have been building up and they're ready to boil and at the moment's notice you're going to snap and just lose it. He said, I've come to save you from those as well. And then he talks about some sins of alcohol. He talks about drunkenness, which is exactly what it means. Revelings, which is not just getting drunk, but getting so drunk you just let it all cut loose and, and you start looking at those drunken, inhib- uh, uh, you know, those inhibitions that they don't have and that person that has lost control and, and, and that's a, a problem right now. But I have a God who says, I save you from alcoholism. Do you understand how it is when you start looking and you start saying, this is what God saves from? It's not just he saves us from our sin. But some of us, whether it's in our own lives or someone you're talking to, you ought to have that confidence that whatever sin you come to, Brother Perriman, you've been teaching Bible studies and you've been witnessing on your job and you can look someone in the eye and and identify that sin and say, hey, I know you're struggling with alcoholism, but my Bible tells me he's overcome the works of the devil and the works of the flesh are these. Can I tell you right now, I know counselors can help you and I'm glad for AA and other things, but this is what I know. There is power in In the name of Jesus. That old song, or not old song, but that song we sing, there is power to break every chain. It's not enough just to sing that song, but why don't you start identifying the chains? This is what he's come to break. And then I love Paul, because Paul's smart. Paul doesn't leave it there, because if we'd have left it there, some of us would have said, well, see, what I'm doing is not wrong, because Paul didn't list it. Which is why Paul said, and the like. Meaning this is not an exhaustive list. There's more I could tell you, but I'm kind of running out of time. Someone may ask, why go over this list again? Didn't you preach it? Uh, Hasn't Brother Perryman preached it? Well, the answer is very simple. Jesus has overcome the works of the devil. And through Christ, you can be free from every work of the flesh. But it doesn't stop there. Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 61. It was a prophetic, a messianic prophecy 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And you say, man, that's powerful. Until you match it up with Luke chapter 4 when Jesus walks into the synagogue and he opens a scroll which would have been their Bible, their Torah. And he he finds Isaiah, it wouldn't have been Isaiah 61, they wouldn't have had these verses and chapter uh, marks yet. But he he scrolls down and I can see as Jesus opens that scroll and he's, he's looking for something particular. He puts his finger on it and he says... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he rolls up the scroll, the Bible says, and he sits down. And every eye in that synagogue was looking at him. And then he says, This day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. What was he saying? I can save you. Let, let me break it down. He can bind up the brokenhearted. Anybody here brokenhearted? Anybody here your heart has been broken too? Can I tell you today? Jesus saves. He proclaims the liberty of the captives. Any of you feel like you're bound, you're captive? Can I tell you today? There is liberty in the name of Jesus. He goes even further to say he opens the prison doors to them that are bound. He saves. He says, you got ashes? Do you walk through your life picking the ashes of a life that's been destroyed by whatever reason? He says, hand me the ashes, hand me the destruction, and I'll show you beauty. Are you mourning today? He says, let me take that. Let me give you the oil of joy, joy unspeakable. Do you walk in this building with a heavy heart? With a heart that's, that's bruised, a heart that's, that just groans under the weight. He says, let me take that spirit of heaviness. And let me give you a garment of praise. And that was written back in Luke chapter 4. But I will tell you today, he still does it. He still does it. It's Romans 8, familiar portion of scripture. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? No. Will distress? Absolutely not. Persecution? Not on your life. Famine or nakedness? Peril or sword? I know it's written that we're killed all the day long, counted as sheep for the slaughter, but in all of these things... We're more than conquerors to him that loved us. I'm persuaded there's no death, there's no life, there's no angels, no principalities, nor powers, nor present things, nor things to come, no height, nor depth, nor any other creature that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I tell you today, he still saves. But he takes it a step further. And he begins to write in 1 John chapter 2. I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sakes. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. 
I write unto you little children because you've known the Father. I write unto you fathers because you have known Him that was from the beginning. I have written unto you young men that because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you, you have overcome the wicked world. Or the wicked one rather. How can all of that be? Pastor, you just said that God, that Jesus has overcome the works of the devil. How can we overcome the wicked one? John says, I'm glad you asked. First John chapter 4 and verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. He still saves. Would you stand today? He still saves. I've thought of all of this. There's so many things that I could go through. There's so many things that I could talk about. But I begin to look at it and I begin to see God's hand in all of it. You know, there are some, and I've heard people say, hey, I've read the Bible, but there's so many things in the Bible that are only for the Bible times. It's not here today. But I would tell you that is absolutely not true. I don't know how many of you know Brother Rick Lovell. He pastors in Sykeston, Missouri, doing a phenomenal job. He's also the Missouri District Prayer Coordinator. But yesterday, and he's a good friend of mine, yesterday his son Parker, I think Parker's 9 or 10, maybe a little bit older. Parker ran across the road, probably as he always has, small town. They say he even looked both ways. Whether he didn't see the car or the car came out of nowhere, we're not exactly sure. That car hit Parker at 30 miles an hour and he flew 40 feet through the air. Brother Lovell reached, and I'm coming from some of Brother Lovell's own words, not exaggerating, I'm not embellishing. Brother Lovell wrote, he said, when I got to him, he was lifeless. Now, Brother Lovell didn't say this, but I know Brother Lovell enough to know the first thing Brother Lovell did was begin to call out to Jesus. I've been around Brother Rick long enough to know that's where he'd have been. And they they got Parker kind of awake, if you will, and they got him talking. The ambulance came, and they brought him to the hospital, and they began to do tests, and they began to do everything. Parker's head had hit the front grill of that car had put a four-foot part of that grill, his head knocked off. They brought him to the hospital and Parker was talking. They began to look him over. There were no broken bones. They did x-rays on his knees and they couldn't find any broken bones. They began to look. The only thing he has right now is a concussion. But there's not one bone in his face that's broken even though he planted his face on a, a bumper of a car at 30 miles an hour. They brought him to Children's Hospital last night just because he has a gash on his face and they wanted a a, a trauma surgeon to sew it up so he wouldn't have a scar. The doctor looked at, at Brother Lovell and said, I have done this long enough to know there's not a chance this young man should be able to walk out of here with not a broken bone. And the doctor said somebody upstairs was listening. I don't know where the doctors get that somewhere. And I, I know we have some doctors in our midst and some physicians' assistants in our midst. I don't know where they teach you that from. But can I tell you, it's not just someone upstairs that, that is listening. That's not how I answer. I would just like to tell you today, he still 
saves. He still heals. He still delivers. He still set free. He's still the answer. And so today, whatever need you have, whatever sin you've been fighting against, whatever thing that you've been carrying and it's been weighing you down, I've tried and there is by no way can I make this sermon an exhaustive sermon. But I would tell you right now, everything you are dealing with and everything that you have in your life and in your mind, that verse that we read earlier, this is the reason Jesus came, to overcome the works of the devil. That is an encompassing remark. There's nothing that you bring into this service that isn't covered under that. It is a blanket statement. Now I have, I have tried in, to, in my human life, I try not to talk in great specifics because I have learned, Sister Peters, the moment that I look at my kid and I give them that absolute, there's going to be some reason i got to go against that absolute. So I'm very careful to say everybody does this or everything means this. I'm very careful. But when it comes to the things of God, I can be absolute. This blanket statement has no loopholes. This blanket covering has nothing that it goes around. Jesus said, I've come for one purpose, to overcome completely the works of the devil. Depression is a work of the devil. Addiction is a work of the devil. Sin is a work of the devil. Pain and heartache and brokenness is a work of the devil. But thanks be to God, through Christ, we are free. I'm opening these altars. I've watched your response. I've watched tears roll down your face. I know I hit on something you're dealing with. And so I'm asking you, why don't you come right now? And why don't you begin to call out to him? And why don't you ask the one that has done all things? Why don't you ask him to touch you right now? In the name of Jesus, would you come?